What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, former Eastern Michigan Eagle, and you're listening to the Full 10 Yards College Podcast. You already know the deal. Just win, baby. Eyes peeled, everyone. It's time for the Full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. And welcome back. Welcome back after a very long time to the Full Time Yards College Football Podcast. Uh, me, a, a usual voice on the podcast, is Lee Wakefield, but I'm joined by a new team this year. Uh, we've got a few guys that you would have heard the voices of before, but uh, as a new team, we're all back together and back for a new season. Uh, so we've got Rob. Rob, welcome in, mate. How are you? You okay? Yeah, nice to be back, Lee. It's, uh, it's really good to be uh, sort of trying to kick off this college season. We're, I think we're, we're urging it to, to happen, aren't we? This is the, you know, we're trying to get some momentum going here so we can finally get uh, some, something going and something, you know, set in stone because we're all absolutely gagging for it now, mm. aren't we? Yeah, definitely trying to speak it into existence for sure. Uh, next up, we've got Andy. Andy Moore, how are you, mate? You okay? Yeah, not bad, mate. I'll tell you what, I'm, uh, I've been watching baseball, Basketball, ice <laughs> hockey. I just don't even know where to watch it at the moment. Obviously, normally you get a bit of a, a, a break between the three, but like I've just been everywhere, and I just need football to put the uh, the cherry on the top of the cake. To be honest, mate, let's hope it's coming up. Yeah, definitely. No, it's been it's been a funny old summer, hasn't it? Just trying to fill the sports void, sports where they show they shouldn't be and delayed and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, no, it's been a bit of a nightmare, hasn't it? And then uh, lastly, uh, we've got Kieran Patterson. Uh, a bit of a new, newer voice on the podcast. I think your first time on the college podcast. You've been on the regular podcast before. But how are you, mate? Our man in America. How are you? I am doing fantastic. We're coming off a championship season. Louisiana State University. <laughs> Joe Burrow, the greatest man to ever step on field. But guys, I miss college football so bad. I'm yeah. watching NCAA 14 <laughs> dynasty video. That's how bad I need college football back in my life. I know, right? We might we might have to touch on the sort of games, uh, games and the NCAA series and things like that as we go later on through the podcast. But today, uh, obviously, just going to start off a bit of an introduction. You know, get eased back in, back into the back into the hot seat. Uh, go around, boys. Kind of introduce you all to new listeners. I'm sure we'll gain some more with it being the new season. And then today, we're going to kind of uh, talk about some junior college. Uh, some something that we don't get talked about a lot very much. Um, but obviously, we've all seen Last Chance You. That's on people's TV screens via Netflix now. And uh, we've got a special guest, a really nice special guest to uh, kick off the new series of the podcast, uh, which we'll, we'll bring you a little bit later on. And then we're going to touch on, just to finish off the podcast, we're just going to touch on this developing story out in the West, on the West Coast with the Pac-12, and this potential boycott that a few of the big players are signing, actually. It's a bit of a bit of a worry, a bit of a turning point in the, in the way things might be done, as I said. Um, but obviously, it could be a lot of good things that come out of this as well for the players and, and just for the sport in general as college football. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today, boys. Are we ready to get into it? Let's go. Let's, Let's get this started. Yeah. Let's get it done. Right then, so so for new new listeners, we might have heard some of this before, but obviously we're just going to go around, kind of introduce ourselves, talk about why and who we love in college football. Obviously, Kieran, I'll come back to you. So obviously an LSU fan, tell us a little bit more about your college football, why you're in America, um, and, and just generally why you love college football, I guess. Well, being a massive football fan, it was great for me to have the opportunity to move out to America, and that's really my career, trying to get into coaching and things like that. I've been working mm-hmm. with some DPs at certain high schools and everything, so that's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, college football last season, great for me. Uh, I'm an LSU fan, and as you know, I'm, I'm a massive fan of D1 
defensive back, so it only makes sense that I watch DBU. And we are the only DBU for any Texas or Ohio State fans who are listening. <laughs> we had probably, in my opinion, a better season than the 2001 Miami Hurricanes. I truly believe that. I think probably one of the best college seasons we've ever seen. Joe Burrow really galvanized that offense. Hmm. We had great wide receivers, great linebackers, great secondary, great linemen. I mean, we even had a great offensive line with guys like Lloyd Cushenberry, big, mm -hmm. long arm, big, strong dude. It was great. We had a great season. Uh, yeah, it, it, college football was really interesting last year because mm -hmm. you had some top-tier talent, guys like Justin Fields, uh, Trevor Lawrence, and then this year is going to be even better with guys like Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence coming back. You've got like Derek King, Chubba Hubbard, if the season goes ahead, I mean, we're, we're in for a treat this season. And uh, Miles Brennan stepped into the LSU offense, and we've got TJ Finley, who's another quarterback, who's a freshman right now. But th things are exciting for, for college football right now. And I think this year, despite how good last year was, we have a super phenomenal wide receiver class and mm. some really good quarterbacks coming off the board. I think this is the year we're going to see even more top-level talent with guys like uh, Stingley, Lawrence, Fields, all these big guys that teams are going to slot into their offense or defense. And I think a lot of these guys are game-changers. Yeah, for sure. Man, I love that excitement. You know, you just got to start it off on a great foot there for the new year. Uh, lots of excitement talking about the, you know, the, the great year that LSU had. And I don't think you're wrong there about talking about one of the best seasons uh, that, that, we've, that we've seen. Andy, so I, go, I guess we're going from top of the tree to maybe a little bit lower down with your, your following there. <laughs> yes, um, well, to be fair, one of the best seasons ever in 2013 as a Florida State fan. Um, yeah, to be honest, it's been, uh, it's been pretty dire lately. Um, you know, just, just watching us getting rolled over uh, by the big teams and then um, getting beat by the, the smaller teams in the ACC as well. So that's uh, it's been a whole lot of fun. Um, but, you know, Mike Norvell's just come in. Excited, seems to have brought a bit more, I don't know what to say, professionalism, I don't know, something like that, or, or a bit more recruiting power as well. Mm. And got a few nice uh, new players through the door, but it's going to be a big season. I, I'm quite excited. I hope we I hope we do go ahead. I think uh, what the ACC is doing, playing uh, in-house and conference and stuff like that, is going to be uh, interesting. It's going to give uh, FSU maybe just a good year to just build something before going back to hopefully, or hopefully going back to normal. Uh, next season, but I'm excited to see like Marvin Wilson and mm. stuff like that. Um, you know, touted first round uh, NFL prospects and anything like that. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Um, you know, the only way is up. Um, yeah, and the, the only other team that I kind of half double with as well is UCF, just as a as a chap that goes out to Orlando uh, a fair bit. So, um, mm. yeah, I mean, I've had a chance to watch those a couple of a couple of times live, and great atmosphere. Uh, that's the whole reason I, I love college football, to be honest. Uh, the atmosphere is just uh, unrivaled. I don't think I've experienced anything like it. Um, been to the Orange Bowl. Um, in fact, when I went to the Orange Bowl, I went to an NFL game, uh, Miami versus Buffalo, the next day, and the atmosphere was just nothing like it. I mean, yeah. to be fair, the Dolphins are <laughs> fairly naff anyway, but uh, but the atmosphere of the Orange Bowl were electric, n nothing like it. I was in the back row, and it was just like it, it was just like watching theatre in front of my eyes. It was fantastic, mm. man. Yeah, that's why I love it. That's it, isn't it? That's one of the big things about college football. There's the atmosphere, the pageantry, you know, how much everyone's invested in the, the sport itself. You know, just for that one game, it's like everyone puts everything else aside and it's just all about that, that hour on the field. That's it. And we've got Rob. Um, so, an, uh, a kind of honorary ACC member as a Notre Dame fan uh, yeah. for the year. 
yeah, it's going to be interesting this year. It's sort of certainly different to what we've been used to. Um, but yeah, following these two boys, it's um, I, I follow Notre Dame. I, I, it's purely because the way I got into sport in Notre Dame is because I'm an Indianapolis Colts fan. I wanted to keep it in state. Uh, it was obviously Purdue and, and Indiana in there as well. But um, Notre Dame, love the mascot, love the whole sort of get up and go about the fight in Irish. It was just, you know, it had, had an attraction to it. So that's why I followed it. But I want an honourable mention here because I, I do, obviously they're, they're what I class as my big team that I uh, follow, but I like to follow a small team as well. Uh, and I love Appalachian State um, in the, the Sunbelt division and they had a fantastic year last year, got themselves in the top 25 with a 13-1 and record. Um, and the last couple of years, they've been absolutely fantastic. Really good to watch. Hard to watch. Not easy to find a stream of App State over, over here in the U.S. Okay, but a legal stream we're talking about, by the way, for anyone that <laughs> uh, can neither confirm nor deny. Um, uh, but yeah, so uh, they're, they're really good to watch. So two teams I, I tend to follow at college football, um, both mm. exciting to watch. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, AP, uh, AP, App State, known for the big upsets. Uh, mm. years, and you'll come up with one every now and then and uh, run, people, run a lot of big teams as well. So, yeah, definitely a really exciting team to watch and obviously send a lot of players to the NFL as well. And then if, if no one else uh, sort of needs an introduction, I guess, to my sort of almost fandom of a, a whole conference almost with my sort of uh, West Coast love of football, uh, follow basically the Pac-12 as a whole, always root for them. So uh, last season, for example, my allegiance went, went from Oregon to Utah, back to Oregon, hoping that they were going to get in the final four. Obviously didn't happen. Um, and obviously I was kind of, kind of hoping to see my uh, well, future quarterback and it did happen. You know, we've obviously Justin Herbert going to the Chargers, me being a big Chargers fan. Um, maybe one day I'll actually you know, root for one of them, but I kind of flit around so much, especially when there's a few good teams in there. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of me. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of the new team for the season. You know, we'll have a few other people on as well throughout. I'm sure it'll be a bit of a rotating cast. Uh, but no, really excited to get uh, the new season started with you guys. And oh, like I say, hopefully we'll be discussing a lot of good football throughout the, the autumn and um, the fall, as they call it, over there in the States for you, Kieran. Um, and hopefully, you know, right way through to the draft and beyond. Um, and we, can, we can have another great year of the... Fulton Yards College Football Podcast. So then, as I said, so we're going to start off the season with talking about junior college. And um, like I said before, we've got a great guest um, to come in uh, who's joined us. Um, this was one we pre-recorded just a moment ago, so just before we came on. So I'm just going to cut to that now. And then we'll come back and we'll pick it up from there. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed the interview that we've got lined up here. Okay, yeah, so to open up the new series, as we just said, we're going to just jump into a great little interview that we've had lined up. Um, so on the line with us, we've got Coach Casey Adams, who is joining us all the way from Oakland, California, who is the running back coach at Laney College in Oakland, California, somewhere that we're all very, very familiar with. Coach, we'll welcome you in. How are you? How's everything going out there? Uh, it's okay. Everything is good. We're just hoping we're going to have a season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'll touch on that a little bit um, as well. Obviously, we're suffering on both sides of the Atlantic with the, the COVID pandemic. Um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully we're going to get football everywhere and hopefully return to normal um, as fast as we can. So yeah, just a few facts for everyone just before we, we get into the questions with Coach. So Coach Adams has coached at Laney College for about 10 years. And before that, he was at Skyline High School, also in Oakland, which is also mentioned on the series Last Chance You that I'm sure we've all been binging through it uh, recently. Uh, the coach has no coached no less than seven all-conference backs, as well as two All-Americans. And Coach Adams himself played at Laney before coaching there, went on to play for Boise State, not, but not before rising up the ranks uh, to make it to seventh on the overall rushing list at the college. 
And he would have been higher had he not coached up so many guys who are now ahead of him. So five guys uh, ahead of him now due to his great coaching as well as his great play. So quite the, quite the honours list there, coach. Um, let's take it back to, to your playing days, though, to begin with. Let's take it back a little bit. How, is, how different was the college then when you were playing compared to what it is now? Obviously, we've seen, and the listeners would have seen the college on TV, but it's probably very different in the past. Yeah, well, the college football game has changed a whole lot since then. But uh, when I played, you know, college football was more about, uh, especially on the junior college level, it was a no-frills kind of you were grinding, working to get to the next level. We didn't have, you know, six different uniforms and three helmets and the great big facilities like everybody else has now. I mean, we had just, I mean, we shared the locker room with the baseball team when I played. (laughs) When our season was done, we had to clear out. So, I mean, you know, in that way, things have changed. Football itself, like on the field, though, you still got guys who are, you know, grinding, trying to make it to the next level because, you know, no kid wants – no kid chooses to go to junior college. You know, everybody has a Division One, a big school dream. So, uh, whatever reason that led them to junior college uh, is what we concentrate on trying to help them, whether it's academics, whether it's a size issue, speed issue, or maybe it's just raw talent-wise. You, know, uh, you know, so – that's what our biggest focus is. But like I said, the on the field, you still got a bunch of hungry kids who want to play. I mean, like you've seen on our uh, on the documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I was going to uh, ask because there's a theme in the documentary, obviously, that um, Oakland's becoming quite gentrified, and uh, it's kind of changing the the area around you. I mean, do you think that's ever going to impact on the on the way that the team plays or the kind of style of players that you're getting through there? Well, I mean. We're getting more kids from the suburbs than we used to. I mean, actually, yes. One of the good things, I mean, that may be a positive about the gentrification part because, honestly, when schools out in the outlying areas, when it came to recruiting, you know, kids were like, why would you try to get out of the hood? You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, we're no longer really kind of considered the hood like that anymore. Plus, when people see our facilities and everything else, um, and, you know, plus our head coach is a magnet for people. You know what I mean? I mean, he's a salesman and a half. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's a lot easier to recruit now than I can, it was 10 years ago when I first started. I can admit that. <laughs> yeah, we like the, the season, we, we saw guys like RJ as well who, you know, took took a little bit more coaching than some other guys, but you had really talented guys like KP and Dior Walker and stuff. And uh, we saw those guys develop as the season progressed. And that that's a question I wanted to ask you. Did Laney, how did Laney change you as a player while you were playing there? I, that's where I learned how to play football uh, as a team game because I was a running back myself and. You know, when you're in high school, everybody in the junior college and in college was the best player on their team most of the time, you know. So uh, all I had to worry about was when I had the ball in my hand. And when I got to college, I had to learn what everybody else on the team did. And I had to learn how to play without the ball, how to pass block, how to, you know, carry out ball fakes. I mean, how to do everything else besides just – uh, running the ball. So 
I think that's the biggest thing that uh, kids, especially kids in my position, it's the hardest thing for running backs to learn is you're not going to get the ball every play. And when they throw the ball, they're not going to sift you out the receiver too. So you have to learn how to do stuff besides just carry the ball. What, what, were your, what were your aspirations? Obviously, going from Juco in, into D1, what, what were your aspirations as a player? Did you think you could possibly make it up to the NFL? Were you close? Where, what, were your, what were your feelings uh, when you was at, uh, in D1 there? Oh, well, they, uh, in my particular case, I was an academic headache back then. I'll admit it. So <laughs> I had all the talent in the world. I hated school. I mean, which is ironic that I'm a teacher now with two masters. <laughs> like I said, I was an academic headache. And that's one of the things I had to learn, you know, sure. to prioritize my time when I, uh, you know, and that was one of the things that Laney taught me, you know. <laughs> and uh, Laney humbled me real quickly, too, though, because, you know, when you're in high school, you're in that little pond that you're at. Then when you start finding people coming from all walks of life, from out the military, out of prison, out of wherever, all these guys coming. You know, I got 30-year-old guys with families. Like you see <laughs> our guy yeah. Newton, the lineman, you know, you see these guys, they're playing uh, for things bigger than yeah. just themselves, you know. <laughs> Definitely. And, uh, and you mentioned just uh, a couple of minutes ago, like um, all the different stuff you had to learn as a running back coming uh, into the college kind of uh, game. I mean, um just to ask you a provocative question with all the kind of debate about them at the moment about whether you should pay running backs in the NFL or anything like that. I mean, what, what do you think at the college level? Do you think uh, they're kind of like rated the same? Are they seen as just given the ball and, and work or, or are they kind of like, you know, all-round players who, who are key to your team sort of thing? Well, my thing is, uh, it's a hard because it depends on the coach's philosophy. But uh, what I do know, what I can say is, if you look at the last few champions of teams, especially Super Bowl champions, they've all had a tight end and a fullback of some sort. I mean, because you need something. When you get in the short yardage situations, four or five wide receivers in zone blocking doesn't help all the time. You got to be able to smash it and push it downhill. But if you look at the Patriots, you look at all these teams that have won the Super Bowl recently – you know, most of them have employed a fullback or tight end at some point. They It's hard to go uh, like the um, old Rams used to be the greatest show on turf. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to score from 90 yards every play, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, like I said, but you still find teams that are able to successfully do it, you know, with the spread concept. You know, usually you have a dynamic runner at quarterback if you, I mean, because you have to have something to offset that one back in the backfield, something else to give the linebackers and safety to uh, concentrate on. Obviously, you've had some great success as a player at Laney College, but uh, I do want to move on to the coaching side a little bit. Uh, And one thing I've noticed, the California JUCO rules are a little bit different to some other states. Do you think the way California JUCO's rules are, do you think that negatively impacts some of the recruiting you're able to do? No, I don't think so, because uh, if you look at some of the uh, schools, like if you watch Independence uh, in Last Chance U, and there's no knock on other schools or how they do it, but we're able to compete with local guys. You know, in Independence, that was a big deal about all these guys coming out of state and yeah. taking 
spots from kids who are, you know, in-state and local guys. And that's where we're forced to kind of sift through talent. Now, great that we have such a large talent pool here in the Bay Area. I mean, yeah, <laughs> with all these schools and millions of people around, but uh, we still have to have, we still have to battle with, you know, every school in our conference is within about a 40 or 50 mile range of us. So, I mean, you know, we have a kid, our Rajon Wright, who passes three other JCs on the way here, mm-hmm. you know, to our school, the cornerback we had. I mean, so, uh, you know, there are positives and negatives for it. But like I said, the whole thing about the scholarships and everything else for California, though, it may, it forces us to, and the housing, cal- you know, costs and all that. Mm-hmm. It forces yeah. us to kind of lean on local kids, though. So during your time as coach uh, or as a coach uh, at Laney, what do you think is like the defining moment uh, in, in your career as a coach there? Was it the 2018 season where you, obviously you went all the way or is there something else in there that, that, you, that, you, that really stands out for you? No, the defining moment was I think when Coach Bean became the head coach from sure. the offensive coordinator. and we went through a transformation into kind of modern times. I mean, I played for the previous coach that they had and he, they were kind of stuck in their old ways, you know, mm-hmm. even back time when I was playing, I mean, down the no logos on the helmet. I mean, it was just, it was just football and that was it. When coach beam came in, you know, we added the facilities, we upgraded our turf. I mean, just, Everything, I mean, I know it's, in the end you still have to play football, but, you know, you have to, you're dealing with 17, 18-, 19-year-old kids. Mm-hmm. And when they see all the bells and whistles at a San Francisco City <laughs> College and a San Mateo College, we had to kind of pick up the guys that, they're, you know, that didn't go there. You know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> so we had to battle with them. So uh, once we caught up in the arms race, I mean, and we still don't have as much money as some of those schools, but we're able to make it work with what we have, though. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's due to their creativity from – because most of us here have been with Coach Beam at Skyline at some point. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, it's, yeah we, we've seen it all the way through all of the last chance you, not just the one that we've just seen now, the latest series. But college uh, – sorry, junior college football is a real melting pot of – all sorts of characters, all sorts of situations. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're getting these big guys who are coming down, you know, who maybe get kicked out of the bigger schools, the big D1 schools, and they have to come to junior college for a little while. Do you think JUCO's a big culture shock for those types of players who are used to the big big lights and big crowds and, and big expectations as well? Uh, it is because you get spoiled in some of those places. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not walking in with a locker stocked full of shoes and t-shirts and all that stuff you have to earn that stuff mm-hmm. uh one of the funny points is one of my running backs billy nelson on twitter everybody gives him a whole bunch of crap he's the kid who wanted the jersey number because being told him whether to play or not <laughs> <laughs> he was actually a bounce back from weber state and you know it kind of humbled him a little bit because he thought you know he was gonna get special treatment coming uh-huh. back University. <laughs> you get that, so that was kind of the backstory behind that whole, you know, interaction between those two mm-hmm. people because he got hooked up and, you know, came from the university. He was one of the better guys on the team. He just assumed that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Sweet. And then um, I was going to ask as well, like, um, is there, what, what's your kind of like biggest success story as a coach over your time there? I mean, is, is there one particular player that you've brought on, maybe even as a person rather than a player, or, you know, one player that's gone on to play at a higher level uh, and you're really proud of that sort of thing? Well, I mean, of course, we have NFL guys and everything. But um, before I started teaching full-time, I used to work at Juvenile Hall and while coaching at Laney. And we used to get kids out of there. And one of my biggest success stories was a kid who uh, – I can't say his name now for confidentiality, but it was a kid who basically was in there on some serious charges and uh, that involved him and his girlfriend. And what happened was when he got out of Juvenile Hall, he came to Laney. And he did all his work and he got a Division One scholarship as a safety. He was a converted running back and moved over to safety. But in the end, him and the girlfriend stuck through it. And the girlfriend's father actually spoke up for him as far as getting his record expunged and trying to minimize, minimize his charges so he'd be able to get a Division One scholarship. You know, if you have certain charges, you can't get a Division One scholarship. So he was able – to have that happen and the girl's father, you know, spoke up for him and everything else. I think out of all my success stories, you know, aside from football itself, that might be the best one though. I mean, for a kid who was able to turn his life around and get, and he's still married to the young lady to this day. So (laughs) That's great to hear that you have, even if it's not a football success, you've changed someone's life and set them up for success later in life, even if they don't go on to play more football, which is uh, sort of goes on to my next question. What do you feel like your biggest challenge has been during your, during your coaching career? Biggest challenge is just that part, uh, getting kids to wake up and get kids to accept that. The biggest challenge is getting kids to accept that you're not the big, you're not the best player on the team anymore, and there's a high attrition rate when it comes to junior college. We always start off with like 120 players, and we'll end the season with maybe 70 or 80 because guys just think they're going to show up and just play when they see the writing on the wall, or they don't want to work. You know, they don't want to compete, and. Um, it's hard, and that's where these transfer rules, I think, make things too easy, too, for guys to bounce. When they don't see they can play at one school, they'll immediately go to the next school. And We've had to benefit ourselves from some kids leaving other schools, but I think it's kind of too easy for it, and I think that might be the hardest thing right now, with especially with high school-age kids. So with that in mind, obviously we've talked about uh, the players and, and, and the coaching side of things. What about the, the Netflix side of things? Obviously you guys have been, um, you know, they've come in and they've, they've been there. What kind of, uh, kind of a distraction is it for, uh, or what kind of experience is it to have the Netflix team on the sidelines? I mean, is it something you welcomed or is it more of a distraction for the players and the coaches? It was more of a distraction because kids are trying to make highlight film plays all during, you know, trying to pull off for the cameras and stuff all the time. Sure. And then, uh, of course, I mean, they're teenagers. So, and then after practice, everybody wants to give that win one for the Gipper speech and all that stuff. You know, they, they're trying to get their moment where their, their Netflix moment, not knowing that, you know, 90% of the stuff they covered we're probably going to hit the cutting room floor anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, but 
uh, at first it was kind of a distraction, especially, um, you know, I didn't try to be on the camera as much because I know sometimes I'll slip up and I know my mom will probably watch it one day. <laughs> That's the kind of language that goes on the football field at times. So, but uh, I think that was the biggest thing to get guys to just play, you know, just play football and just do what you normally do. And by the end of the season, it was okay. Only bad, not bad part, the hard part was game days because the other teams, on top of being the state champion, when the other teams came in, that was everybody's moment. That was everybody's kind of Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the teams that we lost to this year. The teams <laughs> we have to lose to. Oh, that was their moment in glory, right? <laughs> don't glory. don't ruin it for me. I've only watched a couple of episodes, oh, so you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, so I guess that added a bit more pressure then, like when you know they're turning up and they're you state champions and you've got the 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 crew there on the side. I mean, are you feeling the pressure a bit more than normal, or is it just you know get down to it, business as usual? Well, the, I think feeling the pressure just because you know everything's going to be captured on TV, especially coming off that championship. Because everybody, you know, our school was the little school that could, you know, <laughs> our school uh, that came, kind of came out of nowhere and uh, won the state championship because there, were, there weren't very many expectations going into that year. So we kind of snuck up on people. But um, like I said, the pressure actually just making sure you didn't look bad on <laughs> <laughs> that was the biggest thing we tried not to do. Hmm. So I'm assuming because everyone does two series, the cameras are back for next season. Should there be a season? Well, I don't know if they'll be able to in the spring, though. Um, in the fall, they were scheduled to come back. But mm-hmm. due to this whole COVID thing, and I don't know what's going to happen as far as that goes. So we okay. have we none of us have any idea. So. Okay. That, that might well affect the, the, the show, but how does it affect you as a coach and, and the players uh, potentially you know, playing in the spring? Is that How do you go about this now? Uh, this is strange now. I mean, this is, yeah. a whole, this is new. This is new for everybody. We're having – because you're having kids who are supposed to graduate in December who now aren't going to play for us. And you're having high school kids who are graduating early. Who, sure. Who are they go and some kids who are actually going to college and going to high school concurrently? There are a lot of gray areas in the rules. Like, can they play for us, or do they have to play for their high school in the spring? Or <laughs> yeah, know, there's there's a whole lot of gray areas that are mm. that's going on right now, rule wise. That we <laughs> yeah. know. Plus, just the anxiety from the guys too, because. Uh, one of the things is like we talked about living here in California, some of the guys have to work mm. and a lot of these guys are getting full-time jobs and you know, it's going to be hard trying to go back to being a broke college student. <laughs> 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 so, I mean, that's one of the things that we have to deal with as junior college coaches. So, yeah. I was just going to ask, like, we don't know how the season is going to go, but, Going into the next full season, you're going to have what is the goal? Are you are you looking to go to the playoffs, winning a ship, or are you just trying to go one game at a time and let it play out like it did last season? You obviously had some troubles at quarterback and everything. You just want to take it a game at a time. Yeah, well, the ultimate goal is a championship every year. I mean, we never. 
uh, shoot for anything less. But, yeah, everything, it's a series of, you know, each week is a series of different battles that goes on. So it's like we have to win each week in order to make the season happen. So that's the way we break it down as far as that goes, as far as winning each week. And we have certain accomplishments that we set as far as goals that we set for each week. Um, you know, whether it's a certain number of takeaways, certain number of balls, whether we win the special team battle, uh, usually that's kind of what we use as our predictors as far as trying to win games. Mm-hmm. And just, just a final question then, Coach, before you know you've got to get out of here. Is Coach Beam, is he what we, what we see on the TV screen? Is that how he is in, in real life? As large yeah. of a character as he seems? Actually, he's worse because he's trying to to, uh, not curse and everything else. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, he's worse. I mean, yeah, Uh, we always joke. We always joke about, uh, you know, if they would have caught us back in the 90s, some of the stuff that we – if we did some of the stuff we did coaching back in the 90s, none of us would have jobs right now. (laughs) Probably all be brought up on charges. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> some of the way that you know you talking to dress players and everything else. It's funny because all the players say that now. When I look on Twitter and everything else, all the players say this is a softer version of Coach B. Players, <laughs> 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 but the one thing you see is if, when you play a game with Coach B, you never play a game that never he never plays games that he knows he's not going to lose. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Knows mm-hmm. he's gonna win everything. That's why the little quarter game. I'm the one who yeah. it. Sorry, little bets he makes with guys. He always <laughs> has some angle on it. He never does something he knows he's gonna, <laughs> that he knows he's not gonna win. You know. <laughs> That's why he's a good coach, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I try to tell guys because guys always fall for it. I mean, one of my running backs, just for example, we're standing on the five yard line. Coach Beam tells the kid, I will race you to the goal, I'll race you to the goalpost. And if you lose, you know, if I lose, you guys don't have to run. He says, <laughs> Go, this kid takes off 90 yards. He runs to the goalpost right behind us. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You didn't tell him which goalpost he was. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff he does. You know what I mean? <laughs> Everybody telling him, don't do it. Don't do it. Kids go right for it. I mean, <laughs> that ego in all the players, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, look, coach, it's been awesome to have you on. Uh, maybe we'll save those stories from the 90s uh, to, for another podcast. We'll get you back on the <laughs> online and we'll, we'll get those stories maybe off air as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's been great having you on. And obviously, we'll be rooting for you guys, whether there's a season or not. Hopefully, there is. Uh, and obviously, you know, we'll be looking out for you in the next series uh, if and when that happens. But again, thanks very much for your time. We really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's been All awesome right, to thanks, have you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. All right, thank you. So, yeah, that was our interview there with uh, Casey Adams, the coach at Laney College, obviously a coach and a school that we're now all really used to and, um, you know, saw sort of the inner sanctum of uh, while we were, you know, watching your Netflix series. I know that everyone will be kind of be binging through that. I know I binged over the weekend. Rob, we've just started it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, obviously a great series and a great coach, well, great guy, kind of gave us a great insight into the, uh, you know, into the trials and tribulations, the ups and downs of junior college. And yeah, kind of wet the appetite. I'm sure around this time of year, everyone kind of gets the appetite wet for, you know, that sort of thing. 
But what, what, what did you guys take from that interview? You know, is it what you expected? Is it something that you were kind of surprised about in any of that? Kieran, we'll come to you first as our man in America. Obviously, you have a, quite an exposure to high school football. And, you know, you might see guys who go from high school to JUCO. But um, is, it, is, it, is what Coach Adam said, is that um, kind of what you expected? Is it... Yeah, there was, there was expected and un- unexpected, like... I thought coach, uh, like what you said about coach beam and some of the stuff they, uh, mm. uh, maybe could have got in trouble for saying that they would have said off cameras and stuff, but it, it, it really showed, uh, I think with California where they don't have the recruiting, they can't give kids dorms. They don't really have set meal plans for anyone. It really shows more of a raw side of college football because with East Mississippi community college and independence community college, I don't want to say the kids, uh, they're not coddled, but they get a lot given to them. They get the numbers they want. They get free cleats, new helmets, brand new uniforms and stuff every single year. And they're D1 guys, so they're going to expect that sort of stuff. And it was good to see with Laney that there are guys who are D1 talents who haven't had anyone look at them due to you know, unforeseen circumstances or guys like Dior Walker who's playing quarterback at high school. And you know, It's good to see that these players are it shows the hunger that these guys have because mm. they're not just saying, oh, I'm just going to junior college so I can, you know, not have to sit out a year because I'm transferring or just because I need to get my GPA up or just because I need a little bit more tape. These guys are genuinely hungry and you can see every single one of these players wants to change their life by going there. They all, they're not all going to go D1, but I think a lot of them understand that even if they don't go D1 and guys like RJ and stuff who go to D2 schools, they're like, hey, I might not make it to the NFL, but I got a chance to give myself an education here and really set myself up in life. And that was really good to see because there's a lot of talented guys like Rajon and KP and Dior. It was great to see these guys. But yeah, it was it was good to see a side of college football where the guys had a little bit more hunger because obviously the guys in EMCC and Indy were very hungry for football, but these guys hadn't been afforded the opportunities the guys at the other colleges had. So you really saw like a hunger and fire in these players who wanted to make something of themselves. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that was one thing that came across in this series more than uh, maybe the past couple of series is that these kids seem more kind of grounded to begin with um, because, you know, they are having to go out and, and work jobs and they are, um, you know, having that grounding of having to go out and work and and not have everything provided for them, as you say. So I think that came across. And um, it's kind of, it's the human stories I think that um, really comes across in these programs. That you know you kind of root for these guys. Um, I know I was rooting for one particular person late on in the series. I won't say too much because I know Rob, you've just started it. Uh, but especially in the last episode, I was rooting for one person to make some catches. Um, and people have watched it. Oh, I knew who I mean now. But uh, yeah, and just kind of go with that next level. Andy, what did you take away from the, the chat with the coach there and, and the series itself? I know you've watched quite a bit of it now. Yeah, to, well, to be honest, the, the thing I took away from the, the interview was just like something quite basic, which other people may like naturally think, which uh, kind of crossed my mind a bit. Because when, when players go from college to the NFL, the, the, you, you talk about a, uh, like a huge learning curve and that sort of thing. But it was, it was a, the transition from high school to, to college, which he was talking about where you know, he came in as a, a running back and then he had to take into account of the um, pass blocking and you know all, all that side of the game as well so that, that was really interesting to, to be honest because I mean for, for UK listeners it's kind of like uh, stepping up to from, from like you know park football to, to Saturday league or whatever isn't it and, mm-hmm. and it's uh, and it just gets a bit more it gets a bit more frantic and, and there's a bit more pressure on you so so that was that side of things was interesting it's just good you know good to hear that that you know these guys are getting the most out of those uh, players, and the players are reciprocating and 
and uh, and learning ju just to, to better themselves. So that's really interesting. And then, and then on the series in general, I think I agree with you. Actually, I think it's one of the better ones. That I really couldn't buy into Indy much because I wasn't just a big fan of the coach. I just thought uh, there was a there was aggression for aggression's sake, and mm -hmm. then there was another a whole load of <laughs> just nasty arrogance. To be honest, but um, but no, I really like I like the coach in this one. I think it's uh, Coach Beam's really interesting character, and uh, you can tell that he commands maybe he commands more respect from his uh, coaching staff than some of the players sometimes and, and that's half the battle as well just getting a, a team unified and on and you can see how he drove the team to like a state championship quite easily yeah for sure i think coach beam like you say he's, he's the one coach in the the whole of the the all the series let's say that you kind of root for because like you say the the other coaches in the past have not been maybe the come across as the nicest characters but whereas coach beam you feel like you want to play for him as well Robin, we've just started the series. What's your kind of first impression so far? Yeah, well, the one thing that I, I think adds kind of piggybacks off what these two guys have just said is, I, I think the players as well have the, have uh, kind of um, they're playing for their local team almost as well because they're all from the Bay Area. They they you know they all grew up in in Oakland and um, so it, there's a sort of. Um, don't say patriotism, but you know, do you know what I mean? That whatever the local, local pride thing. kind of thing. Yeah, local pride, and they're, and they're they're putting that jersey on, and they want to play for them. Whereas back in uh, Indy and you know at the, um, East Mississippi, there wasn't that. There was players that said on the show, "I don't want to be here. I don't <laughs> want to be here." You know, and mm. whereas you don't, I have I've only watched say a couple of episodes, but I don't get that uh, impression impression from any of the players um, f f there because they just they've got that local pride. Yeah, for sure. I think that was one of the most interesting things about this series compared to the previous couple of series that mm. this one was based in a city rather than in the middle of nowhere because Indy and EMCC just in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. There's nothing else to do. They want out because of, you know, there is nothing to do. It doesn't interest them to be there. But this is set kind of in uh, Oakland. Obviously, you've got uh, San Francisco straight over the bay as well. So it's, a, it's like a different environment, which I found really, really yep. interesting. Uh, yeah, so any any other any other comments about the series before we kind of move on? But yeah, it was it was a fantastic interview that we that we got there, our coach. Yeah, and, we've um, we've certainly well. we've certainly started on a on a high level. <laughs> We're yeah, gonna for sure. struggle to keep to, to this level, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. What a nice guy. Yeah, top yeah, guy. top man, top man. It was it was nice to see coaches who uh, they they seem like uh, Laney especially to care more about the players and less about their own ego. I know some of you guys have watched some of the episodes from Indy, but Coach Brown seemed like he was very consumed with himself mm. and his own ego. And he would constantly say, ah, it's because I'm from Oakland. I'm from the hood or whatever he, the, the language he would use. And it's like, well, we've just seen a whole season in Oakland and everyone there, while there is ego that happens with football players, everyone there knows that they're in it for the team. Whereas Coach Brown kind of seemed like he was just out there for himself and now he's not even coaching he's got his book deal and everything and he's kind of just get, feels like he's given up on coaching that's a really interesting point i actually completely forgot that about uh, coach brown that he's actually from oakland and we've seen a whole series now of a college in oakland and no one actually mentioned that and you know the the, more, the, the side of oakland that we saw obviously was the contrast between the gentrification and the the obviously people getting left behind and falling through the cracks as they said and, and no one had, no one really had that arrogance about being from there. Everyone had the pride of being from there, which I thought was quite an interesting point uh, to kind of see that. Um, yeah, because I completely forgot that he was from Auckland, to be honest with you, because he's a completely forgettable character, apart from all the negative side. <laughs> <laughs> Hope he doesn't listen to the podcast, otherwise he'll probably pop up next week. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it speaks to Coach Brown. If, if you guys know why he, uh, well, 
he he resigned, but he got fired essentially because uh, I think last season or season before, it's just after the cameras left. He told a kid who came in from Germany uh, via a WhatsApp text that I am your new Hitler. So that really kind of speaks to Coach Brown's character, and I, he, it, that's what I think makes him so dislikable. Like he says things like that, and then when he's called on it. His ego can't take that he's wrong, so he just blames it on his upbringing and stuff. That's, yeah, I mean, obviously it's not a psycho- psychology podcast, but I think you've uh, you've hit the nail on the head there, mate. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it says a lot, doesn't it? I won't, won't go into too much more detail about that. But Kieran, obviously, I know that you're kind of um, you're going to kind of lead us more on JUCO because it's kind of been your kind of baby this episode almost. Tell us about some success stories that have come out of Juco then and made it to the, the NFL at a really high level and, and tell us a bit more about it. Well, obviously, you've got guys like Cam Newton who went to Blinn Community College and guys like Aaron Rodgers. But I think the most interesting story is a guy who's currently in the NFL right now. He's only played one regular season down. His name is John Franklin III. He was a quarterback for EMCC in the season one and he is a phenomenal athlete. It is pro day. He ran a 4.1940. He is blistering fast. And during the 40 yards of gold thing we saw in one of the off-seasons, he was the third fastest player in the NFL at a foot race. Um, recent off-season, he's put on 15 pounds of muscle. He looks ginormous, but he's, uh, he originally went to the NFL as a DB. He, uh, he went from EMCC to Auburn. Auburn switched him to wide receiver, and then he switched to FAU. And then the Bears sort of brought him in as a free agent. He was on the practice squad as a DB and then ended up in Tampa as a DB. But last season, they switched him to wide receiver. And I think he played one down, which was just a quick 11-yard run to pick up a first down. But the thing people aren't paying attention to, it this offseason, they've switched his jersey number to number five. And you guys know about how the NFL are with numbers. You can only have number five if you're a kicker, punter, or a quarterback. Mm-hmm. And that's where this gets interesting. I think he's going to be the Taysom Hill in Tampa. He's got, they've obviously got Tom Brady there and, you know, Blaine Gabbert. But, you know, he's going to be a great utility player for them. He's fast. He's quick. He's all over their social media right now. Tampa are posting a lot of videos of him catching passes from Tom. And you see all over his Instagram, he's throwing a lot. He's passing a lot. He's running a lot. And I feel like if he, if he can sort of, have a breakout season this season with Tampa and obviously Bruce Aarons is a offensive mastermind. I think he can be one of the biggest success stories from the show. Obviously you've got guys in the league like CJ Rivas from the show. He's with Atlanta and Dakota Allen got drafted by the Rams. He's now with the Jags. You've got these guys who are obviously supremely talented. And I think these are the more interesting stories because guys like Cam, he had a great high school pedigree and he obviously went to community college and then on to Orb. But you, these guys, they knew they were going to be successful. They had a lot of stuff handed to them. Same with Aaron Rodgers, grew up very wealthy parents, went to a community college to get more offers and then obviously went on to Cow and everything. And those are great stories. And it shows that Juco can really bring you know, brings the cream to the top almost. But I think John's story is the most interesting because of the journey. Starts as a quarterback, switches to wide receiver, gets into the NFL as a DB, and now is switching, because we've seen success with Taysom Hill, he's switching to that weird sort of utility role where he can really change an offense because he might only play 10 downs a game. But if he's getting 5, 10, maybe even 30 yards a down 10 times a game, 
that's going to change the course of a game. And I think with a guy like Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, that's really, really going to change that offense to have a guy like that who they can maybe run option plays with because you don't want to see Tom Brady run an option at 43 years old. Um, I think, I think, yeah, you've got guys like that who come through and, you know, Josh Allen, who's a fantastic quarterback in the NFL right now, he didn't get many offers coming out of high school. So he went to junior college, balled out. He was absolutely amazing. If you ever watch some of his highlights from junior college, he is electric. And then he makes that into a big offer and makes his way to the NFL that way. So Junior college is a very important part of the ecosystem. While you see a lot of these success stories in the NFL, it's rare that you get to see the path they've taken with someone like John Franklin or Dakota Allen or any of these guys who have come through. But it's you do get the burnouts as well. Like Malik Henry from Independence, he, his, his, he wanted to play baseball, but his dad was kind of like a LeVar Ball type character, pushed him into football. Mm-hmm. And... and he, he flamed out, whereas he could have maybe played baseball at junior college and then gone on to a D1 baseball thing. So you, you're going to have these success stories like John, Dakota, and all these guys. But, you know, it's good to see the success stories because these guys, some of these guys don't have the advantages that guys like Cam Newton, Aaron Rodgers, and Josh Allen had. Mm-hmm. So it's good to see, you know, good to see these guys thrive. And I think if you're going to want want to watch anyone from junior college, especially from last chance you, John Franklin III is the guy to watch. And I truly believe he's going to have a breakout season this season in that sort of utility role. Definitely one to watch for sure. Um, it's a role that's obviously expanding quite a lot into the NFL nowadays. And people are just wanting that playmaker, aren't they? It's kind of, it's almost like full circle, isn't it? When you, you get high school athletes who are recruited by colleges as an athlete, and he's kind of gone that full circle then to become that almost athlete, like you say, Taysom Hill kind of player um, for, you know, hopefully the books, as you say. Uh, but yeah, no, definitely one to watch. Um, and you know, hopefully we can get some more success stories because as, as this all proves and what we're kind of trying to draw um, sort of attention to by doing this podcast and obviously having the coach on and things like that is there's more ways around this in this journey to, to just, you know, to get to the NFL rather than just go to straight uh, from high school to a D1 school, uh, college that is, and then obviously to the NFL via being drafted. You know, you see we've on undrafted free agents all the time and we kind of get that success story that way as well. And this is kind of like another fairy tale that, um, you know, that we, that we can see. Robin, Andy, any other, any advances on, on those, because those guys for you for uh, success stories from uh, Juco or, you know, other stories like that? Well, I, I, unlike Kieran, um, I, I don't, my Juco knowledge is very limited. I tend to stick to, to FBS, um, dabble in the subdivision, but it, it's, uh, yeah, Kieran, his uh, knowledge is far outstrips me, but interestingly, just looking through some of the players that I didn't know went to junior college, mm. and one that stood out for me uh, was Levante David, uh, linebacker for for Tampa Bay. Again, um, he went to to Fort Scott Community College uh, before he was uh, a Cornhusker, um, but when he went to to Nebraska, obviously he set school records and was an absolute beast as a linebacker um, for, for Nebraska before coming to the to the NFL. So it was interesting to see uh, get uh, names like him, obviously. I have heard of the, the, the bigger names, as already mentioned, Cam Newton, Aaron Rodgers, blah, blah, blah. Um, but no, I didn't realise that Levante David uh, went to Juco. So that was uh, interesting as I did my bit of research this afternoon. 
<laughs> I can build on that slightly because I also had Levante David. Uh, oh, so sorry, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but the only way I kind of came across uh, David as a as a Juco player was so I was watching uh, that national championship game which uh, Cam won before he then moved on to to Auburn. And uh, actually, David uh, sacks Cam with the last player of the last uh, defensive player of the game, and then. Nice. Yeah, and then Cam's team win on the punt return, so that's uh, that was just quite interesting. That's the, I didn't realise, uh, like you, that David played at that level. But um, I also kind of like picked out uh, Alvin Kamara just for the, like because of the um, up and down story there, going from uh, Alabama and, and being injured to, to nine games for Hutchinson Community College, almost fifteen hundred total yards and twenty one touchdowns. It just shows you that like the class shines, so the class shines through, mm. and obviously then went went off to. Uh, to, to go back to D1 and then on to the, the player we know today. So it's just interesting that these you don't really know these battle stories, do you? I mean, we all do our kind of work before the draft and that sort of thing to look into players, but just that, like, peaks and troughs. Uh, it's, it's, it's weird because it's over, like, three years of these guys' lives and it must feel like, like, utterly... Imagine, like, playing for Alabama and then just getting injured and you just have to drop down to playing Juco. You must feel like your world's kind of caved in and then, mm. then to go on that massive ramp up again to like, one of the top five running backs in the NFL. Just like, incredible, really. Yeah, it just adds to the story, doesn't it? Exactly. I mean, yeah, like you say, I mean, obviously we've been researching throughout uh, the whole couple, like week or so before we've led to this podcast, but it does jump out, you, doesn't it? The amount of names that you come across, like household names in the NFL now, and you don't realise that they actually played Juco for a little while, uh, and some of them for, you know, for a little bit longer than, than you imagined, um, for yeah, for variety of reasons we talked about earlier. But yeah, no, it's, it's something that, People, I guess, should like just read up more on it. It's such an interesting layer and to the game that we you know that we all love. And um, yeah, if you you know, I think that's the best thing about it. It just adds another layer to your to your interest, a layer to your kind of knowledge of the game and the stories behind it. Because it, you know, it's not just a sport, is it? It's the the human aspect of it as well that we all love and and see those stories coming through. Yep. But yeah, no, um, yeah, just wanted to kind of draw attention to, to junior college today, kind of uh, catch a bit of a wave maybe off Last Chance You Obviously, if you've not watched it already, if you've never watched any of it at all, and go back, watch all the other series. I think there's two series from two other colleges, uh, as we mentioned earlier, East Mississippi Community College, uh, where quite a lot of players have gone through, and that was kind of what it was uh, known for. Um, you know, just a handful of names, you know, help me out here, boys. Chad Kelly, who else played for EMCC? Help me out. <laughs> Raheem Boyd as well. He's big yeah. at Arkansas right now. He's probably one of the best running backs in the SEC, and he comes from Independence Community College. He he terrifies defenses. He's like six uh, six point six yards per carry, I think, at the moment last season. Mm. Legarrette Blunt was from East Miss. Sorry, I've honestly gone completely blank. I know we had a, <laughs> we had a list beforehand and I've completely blanked on all of them. But yeah, there's a lot of people. And then we obviously had Indy, which you mentioned with Coach Brown in the middle series and now on to uh, Laney College in, in Auckland. So yeah, no, like I say, go out, go watch it, get your Netflix subscription, get your money's worth. It's one of the best series on American football that you can see. Uh, I think I, uh, different stories altogether. Sorry, Andy, go on. So I was going to say, I think I, I think I read somewhere that this is the last series they're doing uh, football wise and they're moving on to basketball so I didn't so it's uh, definitely get your fill now and then you go on to, to that level and then we can all do a basketball podcast where we <laughs> where we try and research players frantically and get the same one over <laughs> yeah no definitely like I said I didn't know that so if, yeah, if it's going to be uh, closed down uh, then yeah definitely get your fill it's a great series but, um, I think they're going to 
like after every season they do an hour long wrap up normally like where are they now sort of thing did at the end of the first two and then uh four and five so i think probably now you're gonna get uh, a wrap up maybe uh, i don't know how it's gonna be with covid and everything but maybe that's because obviously coach member the uh, said the cameras were coming back in full so depending on how the season goes we'll probably get a wrap-up season from them just to like you know see how everything went I have got you a list, Lee, of uh, alumni <laughs> from me. EMCC. Uh, Dakota Allen, uh, Danico Autry uh, from my Colts, uh, LeGarrette Blunt, um, uh, Milford Brown. Some of these players I don't know, but you might do, I guess. Uh, Justin Cox, uh, Quinton Dial, John Franklin, Chad Kelly, uh, Tom Good, CJ Revis, uh, Joanne Reed. Um, Antoine Smith and Zadarius Smith. There you go. There's oh, cool. Yeah, so Jaron Smith and Zadarius Smith. Uh, Jaron Reed, sorry, and Zadarius Smith. Two of the best sort of defensive linemen on the, in the NFL at the moment. So, yeah, it's yeah. uh, a lot of big names, as you say, going through there. Right, then, we'll wrap it up there for our junior college section. And next, we just want to touch on this developing situation out west, as we said. So, um, something that's developing over the last couple of days, and I wanted to quickly chat about this. It might be something that we cover in a bit more detail once we've had the fallout of it. But if you've not, sort of heard about this this is the we are united uh, like pac 12 boycott that's potentially going to be happening for this season coming uh, this is loosely related to covid uh, but also the players are making quite a few other demands um, and wanting to make changes to sports in the conference and, and just college sports in general to be honest with you so their demands if i just pull that up very swiftly now so they've got, the players have got health and safety concerns they want covid19 protections they don't want to lose um, a year of academic eligibility, uh, athletic eligibility, should I say, or a spot on the team's roster if they sort of go down with COVID-19 and they don't want to accept any liability, you know, if they go out and get COVID-19, so they'll have, you know, not have problems with their insurance or anything like that. They also want to extend this to all sports because I think they've quite openly called out Stanford, who caught a lot, a lot of varsity teams, um, rather than tapping into their enormous uh, multi-billion dollar endowment to, you know, keep those sports going. Because uh, obviously, as everyone knows, uh, pretty much all of college sports is paid for by college basketball and college football. And uh, Stanford just cut all those um, all those sports, which obviously isn't great for them. Uh, what they want to end, um, or at least cut into the massive amounts that these coaches and people like Larry Scott, the, the commissioner for the um, the conference, how they get paid, and you know if they want to redirect some of that money towards you know keeping these varsity sports open. Uh, they want to end racial injustice in college sports and society. So obviously, you know, again, catching the, the sort of tales of the wave of the Black Lives Matter campaign that's still going on um, all around the world, I guess, at the moment still. And they want to kind of make it easier for black athletes, uh, black college athletes of all sports to kind of get into college and be admitted to especially some of these colleges out West, which have got very, very high um, academic standards to get into the college. And they want to kind of make that easier for people to get in on sports. And also, and this is where it might get interesting for any gamers out there, they want players to be able to make profit from their name, image, likeness and representation. And they want basically to, you know, get some of the cut, or they want a 50% cut of all the money that's created via the, the sporting, you know, the uh, t- ticket receipts and everything else that's been made money-wise by the colleges uh, from sports and distribute evenly throughout all the players and everyone else who kind of, is kind of used to create that money, essentially. And 
that you know that will open up the, the 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 waves for you know games to come out, uh, people to buy merchandise, and basically the, the, the athletes to get their cut of the pie, as we said. So that's kind of a bit of a rundown of the the demands that these guys are making. Obviously, this is a developing story, so there's not a great deal of information about it yet. So, trying to kind of get your guys' thoughts on this because this is quite a big. It's going to be quite a big movement, you know. If this, if the players, obviously, they demanded quite a lot there. There's, there's quite a lot of big demands, especially financial ones, um, that will change the landscape of college football. They probably won't get given them all. But how do you guys see this? Like, is this something that you think could happen? Is this something that um, you know will change the landscape in, in ways that we think, or in other ways? Because obviously, you know, without this, there's going to be there's going to be no Pac-12 football and potentially no football talks. If you know they get other conferences involved, uh, the dominoes could fall. Kieran, I'll come to you first. What, what's your thoughts on this in general, first and foremost? I think it's important that these players should at least feel that they are worth something because they are. A lot of these guys don't. They come out of college with nothing but injuries. Mm. It's the unfortunate, you know, part of playing a sport that is this physical. And obviously, we saw in California two years ago that the. There was a court ruling saying that players will potentially be able to make money off their likeness, but obviously the NCAA said, well, if the if these schools let the players do that, they're not going to let them play in bowl games, which, mm. you know, you know it, it's really weird that the NCAA seems so against these players making money for themselves when they make the NCAA and their schools millions and millions of dollars a year. I mean, even a team like Michigan, who are, you know, not, not the best team in the world, but they're still pretty good college team they're packing out 110,000 seats every single week and these players are barely getting by some of them are still sleeping in their car I mean there was a story I think in 2010 with a Baylor running back his name was Silas Nasitas he plays he's a YouTuber now he plays in Europe a lot but he was kicked out of Baylor and his coach lost his job because his coach found out he was sleeping in his car and gave him his spare room and fed him and both of those guys got kicked out of college for that. And I think that's disgusting. And we saw it with Trevor Lawrence. He had a GoFundMe for victims of COVID that he set up. But because his face was on the page, the NCAA shut it down. Now, they reinstated it. But the fact that they even shut it down in the first place is ridiculous. So I can 100% see why, why these players feel like that. And I feel that they are more than justified to feel like that. The reason... You know, the NCAA video game, if you if you play these games, it is the best football game that's ever been made. I'm just going to go out there and say that. Holds up seven years later. I play it, you know, any time I'm not doing something, I'm playing that game pretty much. That's how much I love it. So, obviously, that happened because there was a court case with some basketball players and some football players that said, oh, we wanted to get paid. And then the NCAA said, no, because athletes are, athletes are kind of treated like cattle at these big universities because they're not getting paid and it's very hard for them they're practicing almost every day and then they've got classes every day and then they don't get much downtime so i think if they can earn a little bit of compensation for maybe doing a instagram post promoting something and that puts a bit of money in their pocket even if they do the rules where the ncaa or the colleges say hey we'll hold that money in escrow till you leave so then they've got a chunk of money when they leave because you know, young kids, some of them are 18. They, You know, I know when I was 18, if I got a load of money and a load of Instagram followers, I, I might have done something stupid or spent the money on something stupid. So I think it might be important for 
even if they put it in an escrow so the players can leave college and they've got a bit of money, especially if they're not going to the NFL, I think that's really important. But I feel like place, players' voices need to be heard more. People, people sort of like we've seen CNN reporters saying players shut up and dribble, shut up and play football. And then we see guys like Chubba Hubbard taking a stance against his own coach. He's like, you're wearing a racist T-shirt. I'm not going to play for you unless you correct that. And the coach corrected his behavior and apologized, which I think is, you know, whether it was a performance or not, I think he was right to have to apologize to Chubba. You know, these players go through so much from whether they have a privileged upbringing or not. They, they give everything to these colleges and they give 110% every single play. And I think it's important that they should be rewarded for that because, yeah, it's amateur athletics, but these guys are at the top, top level of amateur athletics you see guys go out there and they'll make play after play after play they're a first round pick and then they break something or they tear something and then they never play again and what do they leave college with nothing and i i think these players should be fairly compensated for that i mean the endorsement deals with clothing brands and stuff might be a little bit tricky because say you're at oklahoma then they're jump man so you have to wear jump man cleats jump man gloves and jump man accessories on field so maybe they would have to do it within the branding of the college because it's not like the NFL where players are wearing Adidas, Under Armour and everything. Mm. They, they might not have that much freedom. But I think if, if players are doing great and looking, you know, they should be rewarded with at least something because if you're going to leave college with a bunch of injuries, I'm telling you right now, it would make you feel a lot better if you left college and you left with maybe 50 grand in your pocket from brand deals or even 100 grand for some of the bigger players. Um, yeah, like I said, the escrow might be a smart idea because just speaking on me, I probably wasn't the smartest kid. I'm still not uh, approaching 30 and I'm still not the smartest guy. But uh, I think it would be important for these players to get something. And uh, as well with the Black Lives Matter movement, I feel like these, these players need to be heard. It's very important because you've got a lot of people out there now who are that they say all lives matter and all this ridiculously stupid stuff. Yet we'll go and cheer for black athletes every week but the second the game's over they don't care about them as people and, and, and that's the really upsetting thing because I'm in America so I'm at the epicenter and, and I see the protests and I go to the protests and it, it people are galvanized and people are really important they're not showing it on the news but the streets are still full people are still protesting every single day and I think it's important for these players to take a stand and say enough is enough we are not being treated like cattle. We know our worth. We want to get paid what we're worth. We want to be able to use our likeness for endorsement deals. And and if we're going to leave college with a torn ACL and, and, and a bunch of pain, then I want to at least leave college with a hundred grand that I've made for from endorsement deals. Because at least then I've got something to set myself up and I'm not just leaving with head trauma and bad knees, you know? So all of these players, if if every single player stands up and takes a stand, good and this is why i disagree with tebow tebow said players shouldn't get paid tebow can shut up because first and foremost he would have loved to have got paid when he was at college he's saying this now because he's trying to be the college football guy and you know not cause too many waves and not rock the boat but he would have loved to have got paid in college he can't say he wouldn't and then obviously with covid19 and hashtag we are united i i think players should have the same allowances that the guys in the nfl get if you don't want to play, you don't have to play, but it should not affect your college career. You should be able to have an extra year of eligibility 
just give everyone who doesn't want to play a red shirt. Get rid of the red shirt rules for a season. Everyone who doesn't want to play gets a red shirt. I feel like it's a medical red shirt. That that should be able to happen. Because if, if players don't want to endanger their lives and players who have kids and families, if they don't want to endanger their families, they're perfectly within their rights to do that. Quite some speech, mate. I don't know, I don't know if there's anything else to say. I've got to my house to start, like, you know, going for it. Just move into politics, my friend. <laughs> well, have you got anything to add to that? I know he's just kind of said, said a lot and probably spoken for all of us in some senses, but anything else to, to go through? I'm just going to jump in on the health side of things, just on in terms of COVID, because, um, yeah, I mean, like, it's just, it's a time of, like, uh, at the risk of uh, going into my day job, it's kind of like a, a, a time of unprecedented, like, social change, isn't it, in society? And um, it's, it's just incredible how, um, like, like different the world's going to look after this than it did even like a couple of years ago and and, and talking on a football sense this uh, this is exactly like the kind of thing which is going to make a difference isn't it because you this is the first like group of, of, of college students that have stood up and or, or kind of almost like any sort of professional sport it's the first like unified uh, stand that anyone's made on uh, playing and the, and the dangers of playing during the, the virus and that sort of thing and you can just see it spreading kind of it's it's going to be like wildfire and uh, mm. and the other conferences could get involved in that kind of thing but it's also just key that just like uh, Kieran was making the point they're just well within their rights to do it they're just mm. like they're just human beings aren't they I mean I mean I, play, I played a fairly low level of university soccer or however you want to say it um and like, I mean, this, it's just the, it, the kind of difference if we'd all, every like Kent University sports team had stood up and, and tried to make a difference about one particular issue, it probably would have made a difference. So fair play to them. Um, obviously, as a fan, you hope the season goes ahead. But if, if this is the kind of start of it not happening, then at least it's not happening for a cause. You see what I mean? So. Mm. I think, I mean, I, I live my life by a, a few different sayings. And one of them is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But this system is so broken it's got to be fixed i mean that that i mean the two boys here just wrapped it up not very nicely but on a on a from a pay frontage i think that players are entitled to get paid uh, for what they do and i'm not talking millions and millions nfl contracts but at least something because as kieran said there's there is there is college players playing in div one sleeping in cars they can't there's div one players that can't afford the next meal there's div one players who have got family problems that need them. these guys are putting their body on the line as much as an nfl player is mm. now i'm not asking i'm not saying that they should get paid as much as nfl players but they should get at least something um you know a standard wage at least you know uh, even if it's just a, a an annual salary uh, like like we get uh, it, it needs to be something um because there's too much risk for those guys uh, but then I can see it just to play devil's advocate for a second on the money side of things. I can see it from the other point of view, because if you start giving 18 year olds a load of money, what they're going to do with themselves. We know that there's a drug problem, um, you know, in, in sports and uh, not, not singling out anyone or any particular sport, but there is, you know, you, you know, every year there's NFL players that are on the, you know, you've been smoking the dope and, and whatnot. Um, you know, you've got to control that. You've got to give, it's got to be systematic. And if you if you're getting sponsored by X, X company, you know, that money should be the players. They should get paid for it. If they're going to be the face of a, of a franchise and then so be it they, you know, they make their own success. But that, that's, that's my opinion. I think their players should get paid for it. I don't think it should be a lot, but I think they should at least get something. 
Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I think you guys have also done really nice. So I don't have too much to add, but I do think first and foremost, I want them to be a season. I don't want them to mm-hmm. get a boycott. I don't want them to be a boycott, should I say? But I also want them to get at least some of these demands met. And I think the monetary side of things is a great start. I think, like Kieran says, I think the escrow idea is is great because I think that then leaves it in safekeeping for yeah. when, as you said, maybe a bit of maturity has kicked in. Um, whether that happens to everyone at some point, it's, it's questionable, as we've all I'm said. I'm 32 and I'm not there, so, you know. But, uh, yeah, I think, it's a, I think that's a good idea. I think it'd be a good start, a good starting point at least. Um, and then, you know, if they can, if they can make it easier for uh, their classmates in some ways, you know, getting all the other sports back on the table because, you know, the endowment funds are being used. And let's not pretend, you know, these, these are multi-billion dollar uh, institutions that are, that are out here. It's not, you know, we're not talking about Laney College now who, you know, could be hit by financial you know, problems because of COVID and things like that. These are, these are big, big schools with a lot of money knocking about. You know, the head coaches, just for example, you know, David Shaw, uh, we, you know, we're singing out Stanford, so we might as well continue. You know, he gets paid over $4 million a year. That's, that's going to be, you know, if he caps his wage even just for a short time, and we saw it in the Premier League, we saw it in the EFL, and, and you're going back to soccer and things like that. We saw players cap their wages. You know, if, if why can't, you know, these American sports colleges do this and, and sports coaches, should I say, do this? Um, and, and, kind of take that example and, and like I say, make it easier for everyone, make it make it a better place for everyone to be, get sports back on the table. And, you know, if we can get uh, some more social justice out of it and if we can get a good video game out of it instead of having to buy Madden every year, then I'm all for it, to be honest with you. That's, uh, like I said, I just wanted to wrap up from let's, let's as I said. Call, let's call it a spade a spade. The biggest thing about this whole thing is the game. <laughs> <laughs> it's only because Madden's so bad, though, let's be honest. <laughs> anyway, we'll have, we'll have Coach Brown, we'll hear the EA Sports on us next time. You know, <laughs> we're going to be making enemies all the way through this new series of the podcast. But that's, I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, it's been yeah. an absolute pleasure to get back on the road with you. Um, looking forward to next week already. Just wanted to kind of run through uh, the kind of things that we've got lined up here because we've got a busy sort of schedule coming up um, over the next few weeks. Obviously, articles-wise, we've got uh, Kieran, you, you're writing a Heisman article, aren't you? That's going to be out in the next few weeks. Do you want to tease out there a little bit about that? There, there's there's going to be some uh, surprises on there. Okay. Obviously, like we're going to have the Justin Fields and the, the Trevor Lawrence and everyone expects, but there's a couple of guys who I think are going to make a a really good push at the Heisman this year. I'm not. I'm not going to say too much, mm-hmm. but uh, Miami fans would be pretty happy, and probably Oklahoma fans would be pretty happy about <laughs> what I've got to say. I'll leave it up to them because they got a lot of good players. So, you know, I'll, I'll leave it up to them to who I'm going to do. But we'll have that out soon, and uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm looking to, forward to seeing some people's opinions on what I've got to say. Yeah, definitely. No, I'm looking forward to that one coming out. Uh, that'll be on the in the page in the pages quite soon. Uh, we're going to have some conference previews coming up as well. Obviously, as the season hopefully draws closer over the next month or so, uh, we're going to you know obviously with the staggered start that we're going to get, we're going to get those out in due course. But they'll be out in the next few weeks. And obviously, podcast. Hopefully, you know we're getting back on the airwaves now on a regular basis after a long time away, too long away in some cases. Uh, we're going to have some Heisman candidates and players to watch podcasts. That'll go nicely with Kieran's article. We'll probably talk some more more about COVID, which is unfortunate, but this time. You know, as time moves on and we'll get more details that come out about that, uh, we're going to get more aspects about that. Maybe we'll discuss Notre Dame playing the ACC. Uh, we'll get Rob's thoughts on that. And we'll also get the thoughts on everyone, you know, about the conferences, conference schedules. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe other players, other players and other teams moving around and moving conferences might have a bit of a hypothetical discussion about that. And then by that time, you know, we'll, we'll be on, we'll, the, the season will be on, hopefully. You know, we'll be only a few days away, maybe a week away or so. 
And then we might try and get the fantasy boys involved in a fantasy podcast because I know we've got a fantasy uh, college league that we've all entered into and we've got a couple of fans in there and a couple of viewers and listeners in there as well so you know plenty to talk about over the next four or five weeks we'll get the season started hopefully we'll get the green light for that uh, but yeah plenty to look forward to plenty to you know have your eyes peeled for on the full 10 yards but boys thanks very much again uh, we'll leave it there and uh, yeah i think we'll see you all on the other side thanks for listening to the podcast For all your football needs, check out our website, Full10Yards.com, or follow us on Twitter at Full10YardsCFB. And remember, keep those eyes peeled.